What is HyFlex and how does this modality work? Wait, first off, what is course design? And how do we design classes that encourage intrinsic engagement? How do you increase flexibility and honor student agency? Welcome to a Safe Topics mini-series where Sean and Curry talk about why we teach and how we teach. Last time we talked about our process for designing new courses and we really focused on the really cool learning experiences we are designing for as kind of what was anchoring our process, driving what we're focused on, how we design new courses. Um, this time we want to talk about the other things that anchor a course design process, um, specifically our disciplines, um, how uh, sort of, you know, our knowledge within sociology and what we believe about that you know, guides our, our teaching and our thinking about designing courses, how that's hashed out in our departments. So our departments are also important in, in influencers in our, in our course design process. And then ultimately the course outline of record, which is a document that really expresses those things. Um, so we'll, we'll get to course outline of record in a second, but so Sean, how, how is it that you think about your discipline? So, so what are you reading? What are you, you looking at as you're like looking to design a brand new course? What, what is really anchoring you in terms of your discipline, uh, maybe your department, we'll get to all that stuff. So it does go back to the course outline of record, right? Yeah. It, that's kind of supposed to be the starting point. But honestly, when I began teaching, when I started teaching, I, I, I didn't know what the course outline of record was. No. I, nobody showed me that document and said, hey, this is all the stuff that you need to teach. What I thought was the anchor was the syllabus. Right. And so looking at syllabi from other instructors that I've had or other people who teach, you know, this really the foundational course and kind of what they call the bread and butter course, which is Social 101, Introduction to Sociology, starting there in the syllabus and seeing, oh, these are the things that people cover. This is the approach. These are the kind of assignments and assessments that people do. That's kind of how I got started. And you know, knowing that I wanted to do that differently, you know, it's so serendipitous that I, I took a, I was at a workshop probably two weeks before my first teaching assignment um, in 2013. And I, it was a workshop on team-based learning. And immediately I was like, oh, that's the way I'm gonna do my classes. Yeah. And oh. so, you know, it, it feels haphazard sometimes the way that we begin these processes. But then in the end, it turns out you know, I still use that to this day, but a different, it looks a lot differently than it did when I first started using it. And it looks a lot differently than, you know, the, the team based learning proper, if you go to like their official website, but you know, there, there is that kind of grounding and that kind of um, starting point that helps me organize uh, not just my thoughts, but the actual concrete activities and assignments that I plan. So yeah. Looking at it, you know, to answer your question from the discipline perspective, you know, I, I think it, it the mission statement, if you will, like the one sentence is uh, or question, the guiding question, really. And um, the guiding question is something I got in a syllabus workshop, actually. Yeah. Of, like that should be something that anchors a lot of what you do and you can keep coming back to it. it it's basically how does the social world work and how, how can we better understand how the social world works. That's kind of the crux of sociology. I think I came up with two different questions for it that I still use and, and to make them more interesting sounding than, than that one. And it's, why do we do what we do and, and how do we do it? And I think that right there, those two questions 
not just for the sociology student and instructor, but the, for the instructor themselves, for us. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we do the kind of professional learning that we do, because we feel like we should always be asking these questions of why do we do what we do and how do we do it, right? And, and the, I guess the third question, of course, would be how do we do it better? Sure. How, how about you? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting that you say, like, when you started off, the syllabus was really like the driving mechanism, right? Like the, the anchor. I think that's probably true of a lot of us starting off teaching. I, I know my first experience in the classroom was as a TA in grad school, and we had a really cool program at CSUSM uh, in my department, the literature and writing department. Um, we were basically a cohort, right? So we would, brand new teachers, TAs, we had our own class and could design the curriculum to an extent, um, but we were handed a, a basically a syllabus template, right? We weren't handed a course outline of record. Um, we were in the thick of, of our graduate studies. So we were in the thick of rhetoric and all that amazing stuff, composition studies. So the discipline was at our fingertips, but how to teach a introduction to composition course was really, it's the syllabus, right? And so I think it's interesting you know, now I know that a syllabus is really an expression and an individual instructor's expression of the course outline of record. It's how I look at that thing, sort of articulate it to, to kind of express my pedagogy. So in other words, it's not just what I'm teaching, but how I will teach it and why I will teach it that way, right? So kind of related to what you're talking about with these, these sociological questions. But now I also understand that the course outline of record itself is negotiated by the department. So as faculty, as discipline experts, we, it's our purview. We, we get to say, this is what we think is important in this course to teach. And this is what we'll teach. Uh, and we have sort of little hints at this is how it should be taught. Right. So that, that early faculty experience was very much kind of, it was handed to me. And now I feel more like I'm, I really have that academic freedom to, you know, to express and explore and push uh, a little bit more. Yeah. So what's really interesting, um, we both said the syllabus is kind of this starting point, right? Yeah. And um, in our process for, for designing a course or designing a class, and think about this podcast, our yeah. first episodes were on the syllabus. Right. It was our starting point because we're like, oh, beginning of the semester, syllabus, this is something yeah. we all experience just felt right to start there. Just yeah. like it felt right for us in our careers to start there. Yeah. And, but really though, really though, where did it start? Well, before that conversations between us, documents that we were, you know, we went, we had so many different ideas and, and, you know, we had outlined all this different stuff. Our podcast did not turn out that way. It turned <laughs> out more of the way of that first episode with the syllabus, because then we were actually doing it. So actually doing it with the syllabus episode and actually uh, recording this podcast for the first time is much like when you're actually uh, creating this syllabus and, and having those first experiences in the class because they differ from the plan that is outlined in the course outline of record. Sure. It's that same kind of, you, you get where I'm going? I totally, this? I totally, okay. I totally. So what are some specifics? So if you like, if you look at this, the course outline of record for SOCH 101, what are some things in there that are, are the plan uh, that, that, you know, you express and have to work with in your syllabus that, that there's a little bit of distance between those two things. Is there anything like that, that you know of from the past or you're, you're grappling with right now as you're 
planning your new course? I think just, you know, there's a very, um, there's a very detailed list of what they call the outline of course lecture content, right? Yes, yes. And then it says the course lecture, I'm reading it from the course outline record now, the right. course lecture will address the following topics. And there's about what there's a uh, probably 13 main topics, and then each have like three to six subtopics underneath that. Well, that's a lot of stuff to lecture on. And okay, so lecture is a weird word because we will address those things throughout the course, yep. but it won't always be in a lecture. It'll be sure. a discussion, a video, right. a, you know, there's other ways of getting that across. Yeah. And then um, with, you know, all of these different subtopics, do I like go through every single one and make sure I'm checking off every single one? Maybe that would be the prudent and, and legal thing to do. But I think we cover those things maybe by accident, maybe organically they come up and we can apply sociology to whatever it is. I mean, I look at things like uh, we look at population, demography and aging. Now, I don't go into aging specifically like this is the sociological take on aging, but I do talk about socialization as a lifelong process. Right. Yeah. And socialization, meaning like how we teach people to be wherever they are at their particular age right how yeah. we teach children to be children how we teach school kids to be school kids how we teach college students to be college students how we teach parents to parent yeah and that is addressing aging but i'm not saying this is us talking about the sociology of aging right now yeah. right yeah um is there any kind of specific example that you think of where it's like i'm not covering that like I'm not directly saying this is from the course outline of record. This is what we're talking about. But it's more like that gets covered because we're just talking about this in a more holistic way and we may get specific. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Last time in the last episode, we talked we talked a little bit about how can we make these units recursive, right? How instead of sequential, like you were like the way we broke these topics out of a textbook and the order they're presented and how do we sort of think of larger concepts that apply to most of these topics and then continually revisit right throughout the semester. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of how, how I'm looking at the core. And, and so I want to, so I'll share two things. Practically my process for designing a new course, I like to map out as you're saying, so like the whole semester, the units, what is the, like, when am I giving a sort of lecture? When are we doing an activity? When is there a workshop? What are the essay topics? So I get all that mapped out in a Google doc. What I then like to do is come back to the core and this, this lecture content you're talking about, it's listed out as sort of, you know, Roman numerical, you know, one, two, three, four, and then ABC through whatever. That's why it took me a while to figure out how many there were. I was like 13, that's an X, I, I, I. Okay, anyway. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that Google doc map of the semester, I can go to every element and I can say, okay, this is one A. So this is critical thinking and identifying relationships between authors, audience, and context. We kind of do that all semester long. So every, almost everything gets a 1A. How often do I lecture on grammatical principles uh, and employing, uh, or let's say, using appropriate conventions of exposition and argumentation? Uh, <laughs> like, okay, like you said, that's sort of implicit in just writing. And so, uh, but, but I probably at one point should have like, you know, Roman numeral four, D like explicitly addressed somewhere in the semester. So my practice. Should you, should you really? Well, I mean, it's in the course line outline of records. So maybe we, sh so let's say this though, Sean. So 
in teaching a core, I feel like I need to adhere to it. This is what my department has agreed to. This is what the college has sort of sanctioned as this is English 202. So I should respect that. But when I, when I go to apply it, what you're just pointing out, should I be teaching this? Well, that, that's a conversation for me to go back to my department with and say, listen, I have a problem with this in our core and I think we should change it and here's why, right? That's, that's what my department's doing right now with our English 100 class. You know, we're really evaluating it. There's some strictures on there and we can talk about that in a second, but, but is, that, is that part of your process in your department? Do you, do you have those conversations about the core or is it just sort of like wild west? <laughs> It's my fucking classroom. I do it. I wish. <laughs> I, I don't think it's. I, I got Spider Man in my head, man. You know, it, it's with great power comes great responsibility, right? Yes, right. And we are very privileged, um, us more so than even most instructors as tenured faculty members, to be sure, right? Yeah. With great power comes great responsibility because there is an element of we're trusting you to teach this class and cover what needs to be covered yeah. because you're a discipline expert. Yeah. You have the credentials. This classroom has been bestowed to you. Is that the right word? Bestowed? You can use yes. it. I'll accept it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a preposition bestowed upon. Maybe. We there, thank you. Yeah. See? <laughs> and that was element nine C. Yeah, exactly. See, so we're getting um, to it. <laughs> we covered it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is like, we're trusting these people. We're, we're not really like going to watch every move you make, but we're saying you should cover these things. This is what we're all agreeing to, to cover in, in this class. And we're fortunate, you know, like uh, in some systems and in, in a lot of the K through 12 system, it's like, you are covering these things. We are watching you and there are standardized tests that are, assessing these specific things so get on it right yeah. well so i want to push or, or follow that a little bit because i think as a community college and as community college instructors our role also is to support students on their trajectory to universities right and so that so what is also part of our responsibility is making sure that our course outlines of records articulate right we can't just be teaching bananas, whatever, because we think it's important. Um, if then the universities these students are applying to say, actually, that course doesn't transfer because you have a bananas sociology department or whatever. Right. Like, right. <laughs> so, For sure. so we have, we have, so you said standards, like, so we have this CID stuff, right? So this, you know, across the board agreed upon this kind of course, so like a, a transfer level English course, English 101, English 100, whatever we call it, you've got to do these specific things. And so our curriculum committee will look for those things. And if they're not there, we'll say, you guys need to take it back. You need to, you need to address, build these things in. One of those things for us that's really problematic, and we're figuring out what to do about this, is for English 100, the, the, the standard CID course outline of record language says, we have to teach timed in-class essay writing. And from our sort of position as discipline experts, from our position as, as pedagogy, you know, uh, uh, from our pedagogies. We have as online out. instructors, as online instructors. Exactly. Yeah, this is not all super, like I can do anything I want to and it's not all super fun. It's, you know, it's problematic too. And that process you're talking about, we call it articulation, right? Yes. Right. Um, that it articulates to the equivalent or the, the, the same course 
in at the university so that when transferring these students are prepared in the same way or in similar ways as if they were within that institution for their the duration of their higher ed education undergraduate experience right and 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 since we're saying what we're saying when they transfer to university is yeah we did the things that we all now agreed on right like yes. not, like not just not just the people at maricosta not just the people at Cal State, the people in the Cal State system, right? right. Yep. In all the CSUs yep. and at all the community colleges, we're all on the same page. And so this course should look like that course. And so they should have a similar experience. And now they're ready for the upper division courses. Yeah. And I think it, it just, it, it creates a really interesting tension between discipline experts, right? Like what we believe is important about say composition and writing and, and how that would serve a student best throughout their college career. And I'm sure the same is true for sociology, especially for sociology, because that's a discipline that's constantly refreshing itself and paying attention to new ways of thinking and emerging ideas, et cetera, and theories. So, um, and, and if you're locked down by some standardized agreed upon lecture content item, you know, that, that can be very frustrating. Yeah, but then there's there's these classic tenets. There's the canon. There's there's the foundational stuff that um, often doesn't change very much, right? When you're redesigning a, a course outline of record, so yeah, you're you're always kind of dealing with both the new and the classic that has been again an agreement that the, these are the things that people who are studying this discipline need to know. Even in a survey course, right? When we say a survey course, we're looking at a 101 that is just saying all of these different things where you are you know that what i always say is like you, you are acting as both the recruiter and representative of your discipline right yeah. you're recruiting people into the discipline to become majors but for most students that are never going to take another soci sociology class again you're being a representative of that discipline and making sure they just understand what sociologists do generally yeah, I love how Rika French phrases that. She says, we're making savvy consumers of information out of our students. So like if they are curious about, you know, astronomy, they'll know what kind of interest, like what kind of information counts and what kind of information is sort of like hocus pocus, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know, just the basics, like literacy in a discipline is what, what our survey introductory courses are supposed to do. I was just going to say, we all kind of value... Um especially I think in our work, we value some flexibility, right? And the things that I find flexible, you know, the, the timed writing assignment, that stuff, because I'm like, well, in an asynchronous class, like, how does that work? But even in a synchronous in-person class where you're actually timing them in a room and they're writing to themselves, like, is that really getting at what you want them to learn? You know, and, and, and if it's not, what can we do, especially when it's at that level of like, this is not just coming from our institution, this is coming from the system, the larger system. Right. And, and I think about the flexibility because some of these parts of the course outline of record, like for example, I'm reading right now, the outside of class assignments will be consistent with, but are not limited by the following. Mm -hmm. I, I like this language, right? By the following types and examples. Right. Complete reading and writing assignments, including a, a semester research paper. Yep. Well, maybe I wanna do a semester research paper for my social 101 online, 100% online class, but maybe I don't wanna do that for my gender studies class. Maybe it's gonna be a project, right? Yep. And so I have, I feel like the course outline of record is really helpful when you're starting because 
it gives you a lot of ideas and it also gives you the things that we have to consider and address. Yep. And then, you know, it's kind of nice that as you become more seasoned, when you then become, you know, you, you are fortunate enough to be in a position to modify these documents because they have to be modified, what, every three years or something like that? Yep. Or you could modify them whenever, but that's when they're required to be modified. Is it three years? Maybe. Six. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Six I semesters, three years. I'm, I'm not sure. We'll yeah. have to look that up, but um, they have to be modified from time to time is the, yes, the point, like, right? Yes. And, but we can modify them at any time to address more immediate needs. Right. And so with that though, like that process later in your career, when you're like, there's new things, you're like, that works, that doesn't, then you get to modify based on that. And, and you set up this template for other people who may be starting out to give them, you know, some of the newer ideas and, and, and maybe things that they may not be aware of straight out of graduate school. But to me, that, that stifles innovation a bit because maybe the new teachers, maybe the people just starting out may have some ideas that would really um, move us forward uh, quicker. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, again, there is something to be said for experience, right? Yeah, no, totally. And and so I love my department, AmeriCosta. And and even when I was an associate, uh, I remember department meetings where the focus of that conversation was about the course outline of record and what we're doing and, and what is the future and what we can. And we were all included in that conversation. Right. And so my department has That's done great. a really great job of hearing, listening, creating space for brand new voices, seasoned, experienced teachers. Uh, full-time, part-time for everything that you're just saying. And and I know that's not true of every department, but I, I think it's in, it's incredible. It, it, it's been beneficial as a faculty member. And then the things that we produce, um, I think are really rich um, um, in how they represent the whole department, right? So can we go back to, so, so thinking practically about, okay, I'm designing a brand new course and I'm looking at this course outline of record to sort of anchor my my process. And, and we're pointing out, so the these sections of the core, right? That the course outline contents, the objectives, the SLOs, the student learning outcomes, those are like what we will teach and what what where we will get, right? And what you're pointing out, the the reading assignments, the writing assignments, the activities, the methods of instructions, all of that is sort of how you might teach those things, right? And, and it's it's that language of, you know, consistent with, but not limited by, right, the following. And you said you use that for ideas, okay? So you're looking forward, you're, you're designing a high flex SOCH 101 course. Are you at this point even looking at that stuff? Those kind of, are you going back to revisit methods of instruction? Or are you at this point, Sean, more like, I've taught this a bunch of times. I've got my methods of instruction down and also high flex is a new thing. And so I got to look elsewhere for my how to teach it. So the, the yeah, definitely the latter. I, I did not visit the course outline of record at any time in this first run through of um, preparing to teach this high flex model. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I don't want to try to make things work that are not going to work. Um, so I do consider like, what do I do in person? What do I do in a Zoom class? What do I do in an asynchronous class? Now, are there spaces where I can try to uh, be creative in implementing something that I think is really helpful and is a great teaching tool? 
into um, what I do. And, and again, it goes back to like team-based learning, like um, having, you know, the students in these same groups all semester. Well, that might not work in high flex because yeah. I can't assume, you know, um, everybody has the technology. I can't assume that we're all going to be together in the same space at the same time in the same way, right? Some people will be on Zoom, some people will be in person. So I, I really am just trying to um, balance what is not what is universal, because th that I think would be the wrong path for me. I'm trying to embrace and, and discover what will be the most flexible mm -hmm. and what will be the most accessible to someone who is attending this either in person or online. Yeah. And I, th I think like, for example, an in-class discussion is gonna probably look a lot different, right? It's gonna not look the same as, as how I would have it in a Zoom session where they all go into breakout rooms. Right, right. When we're in person and we're all huddling up in these, you know, five or six different groups, it, it'll probably look more like um, the people in Zoom are, are are, are meeting in breakout rooms, these people in the room are doing that. And then I got to find a way to connect those conversations. When you're all in person, it's like, okay, what did this group say over here? Okay, what did that group say over there? But it's like, it, when when I'm doing this, the, the, the Zoom thing at the same time, I'm going to have to say, like, how am I going to make sure that all of these voices are at the same level? And, you know, one group attending one way isn't prioritized or elevated um uh above another yeah no I, so i'm looking at my methods of instruction for english 202 and it's all collaborative stuff it's peer review groups small group presentations uh, uh instructor guided student uh sort of modeling analysis uh instructor facilitated library research methods it's all like we're in a space together doing stuff together so, so, and I can, I can translate that into the asynchronous environment. I, I, at this point, I've got enough sort of savvy to consistent with, but not limited by those methods. I can, I can do that asynchronously. How do I do that? So it's highly flexible so that students could be in a space together or could be also benefiting from what happened asynchronously. You know, it, it sounds like moving into a high flex space is going to we're gonna to have to be more comprehensive i guess in how we apply these methods of instructions different ways of kind of teaching the what of the core right if you're sitting down and you're teaching a zoom class paying attention to the chat is so important and that may be a way to connect with them because you see things in the chat you say it out loud there's there's people unmuting talking and then there's also what's going on in the chat yeah i don't think that's gonna work the same as when I have people in person as well, simultaneously. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking of things like, we just have a running Google Doc and that functions as a chat and that's up on the screen. Yeah. So we're seeing in real time contributions there as well as contributions in the room. And then looking back and forth and addressing both what's happening in the room and what's happening on that Google Doc and capturing that so it can kind of live on, You know, we talk about like recording sessions and that seems to be something that is really beneficial to students and they really like being able to look back at that. Well, they could probably look back at this running Google Doc too and, and see, oh yeah, that was what we covered in class and that was an example somebody came up with. And But the trick will be getting, capturing what's happening in the room also on that document, right? Um, so that it's not just a running tab of who was on Zoom. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be quite quite the balancing act.
Yeah, no doubt. So I think we're at a good point to, in this series that we are, we are, we are talking about to, to move forward, to talk about what the fuck is high flex. <laughs> <laughs> so Finally, that, yeah. yeah. So we can really hash this stuff out. Cause I think, I think that's where you are in designing this course. Um, and it'll be interesting to get to that, that part of the conversation. But before we go, I want to say one more thing. Like, do, okay. do you believe or ask you something? Do you believe like the course outline of record much in the way we talk about like faculty evaluation too is is another thing that's huge in the with this question asynchronous versus synchronous and now we're talking about something completely like you know with HyFlex completely different you know the the ways that we're evaluated in person and the ways that we're evaluated online in an asynchronous class it's the same evaluation form yeah it's the same course outline of record right are these things that need to have distinctions to the point of being two different documents well it's interesting so if we again if we think about what the the course outline of record is really supplying the what so mm -hmm. what this course will teach and then the objective so what students will be able to do by the end the how and the why is really meant to be flexible right it's that consistent with but not limited by I, if i think i think if we really if we keep to that i think one core can be used to teach in, in a variety of modalities. I, I think that that's true. However, I do think that, especially a curriculum committee that is looking at these proposed methods of instruction, uh, who is part of that governance system on a campus, they should be highly involved with decisions about how we're designing our classrooms, uh, where we're investing in resources, what we supply students before they get into a class? Does that mean everyone has a laptop, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The curriculum committee, it, they're the group with our, their fingers on the pulse of, you know, what, the, what we're doing as faculty. And I, I do think even if we decide, yes, one core is fine, that committee can be doing quite a bit to say, and these are the methods we need to support. And so institution get on board, right? So what you're saying is basically in all we do, we should always have that but not limited by. Yeah, I, well, as far as how and why, I think that's really important. What, that's for the department, the discipline experts to hash out and the curriculum committee to, to say, yeah, this will transfer, this will articulate, it, it meets the, the, the general standard agreement, whatever it is. Yeah, I think so. What do you think? I, I think that's a great answer. And I'm just excited for our next episode because we're finally gonna you know, reveal what High Flex is. Or, um, or grapple with it and be confused by it. <laughs> well, no, that's what I was going to say. You know what? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, we're going to talk about what HyFlex is because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching it soon. And I'm curious. I want to know what the hell it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it, man. Right on. This Safe Topics miniseries is produced and edited by Kelly Barnett, who also created the theme music. James Garcia handles our social media and outreach. Follow us on Instagram at safe topics underscore podcasts. Please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.